I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real vs Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dullahunty and Dr Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. Real vs Feel is supported by All-in-One Property, a dedicated property service provider. When buying a home, you often have to juggle conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork and it can be overwhelming. That's where All-in-One Property comes in, handling it all. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yoyota people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, Aaron, we've made it to our last episode of the 2023 season. That's how long it's been. I can barely even say the number. And we get to talk about the grand final, which of course was won by the Adelaide Thunderbirds in extra time by one goal. I was lucky enough to see the grand final in person this year, although I normally say that I was courtside, but I wasn't this year because the media was sort of banished to the absolute nosebleeds of John Kane Arena. But I I can understand that they had more than 9,000 people in there, um, extra courtside seating for some um, VIPs and people that paid a lot of money to go to the game. And it certainly didn't take away from the spectacle being that far away. I mean, it looked like the Thunderbirds had the game locked away at halftime. But for me, after halftime, that's when the game really started. It felt like the Swifts actually turned up. And then I think we pretty much got the game that we expected in that second half and then in extra time, which of course, journos like me that have to file on the whistle. We just love that. We love mm. not knowing the result and having extra time. <laughs> well, one, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Two, I'm sorry to hear you had to... Watch the game from the stands, you know, I know that would have been hard. <laughs> First world problems. Um, but I was the same as you. Like, I was ready to almost turn this game off at halftime, right? And pack, I wasn't. Get, I wasn't going to. <laughs> but, like, pack it up and kind of start doing things on the side because mm-hmm. the Thunderbirds were just winning. Um, but like you said, it um, really turned up a notch in the second half. Uh, now, you're going to start us off with our quick match review today, looking at what stood out for the Thunderbirds. Yep, certainly. Well, the Thunderbirds had 16 gains to the Swifts 10, but key here is that the T-Birds only converted 10 of those gains. So in the first quarter, they had 100% where they took those gains and turned them into goals, um, but then it dropped to 50%. They only had four in the second quarter. And then it dropped again down to 33% in the third quarter. Standouts for me statistically, Georgie Horges, she had 24 goal assists. She had a game high um, 33 feeds, game high 25 of those had an attempt. She had 88 and a half net points. And I know there was a lot of discussion around, was Shamira Sterling close to getting the MVP? Of course, uh, Eleanor Cardwell won that. But I actually thought that Georgie might have been there, thereabouts. The Swifts tried a lot of things uh, to get on top of her. She's proved so vital to them this season, particularly as the season's worn on. Uh, Eleanor Cardwell that I just mentioned there, she finished with 36 from 39 overall. That included five from six 
super shots. She also had four deflections, Aaron, none of which resulted in a gain, but we've talked about throughout the season how significant that disruptive nature of those sort of deflections can be when you get them from goal attacks. Now, Shamira Sterling, I mentioned just before, she had seven gains and only eight penalties for for the match. So our favourite PG rating there, just under one. She was obviously the best on court for that measure. Took a key intercept in uh, extra time as well. Overall, the shooting accuracy was interesting to me too because the uh, Thunderbirds were on 90%, whereas the Swifts only shot at 82%, which, I mean, really proved the difference in the end. Huge difference in Nissa net points in this game as well. Um, and then time in possession sort of jumped out too. It was 54 to 46 um, in favour of the Thunderbirds. Now, you're going to have a look at the Swifts for us, Aaron. Yeah, and this is another interesting one statistically. Um, Excuse me, because... just playing our sting over the top of you there, Aaron. I apologise. Oh, I'm trying to cough. Yeah. I'm still dealing with the on, onset of COVID and I tried to mute myself and I gave you the gave you the sound instead. So sorry about that. You'll have I, to start again. I, I thought we were just going back to the start. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's it just triggers, go from here. It, it triggers something <laughs> in my ears. Um this was really interesting again for the Swiss statistically because we saw last week against the Fever that it felt like they shouldn't have won. Yeah. Uh, and this one, again, didn't necessarily seem like they should have even been in the game um, with some of the, the metrics that stood out. Their centre pass to goal rate was down at 65% compared to the Thunderbirds, 72%. And this is pretty fascinating to look back at across the year mm-hmm. that pretty much every round the Swifts were at or above 70% for centre pass to goal. They had one game against the Vixens in round 11 where they were at 69%. But it gets interesting when you look at their three lowest for the year that they were all against the Thunderbirds. Oh. They were sitting at 54% in that round two uh, sort of Delayed. Oh, call it, I want to call it a, a washout or Abandoned, something. Abandoned, a blackout, right. maybe. <laughs> yeah, blackout. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so that 54% at that point in the game, 64% against the Thunderbirds in round 14 and 65% in this grand final. Mm. So the Thunderbirds were the only team to keep the Swifts really low for that centre pass to goal rate this year. They did it three times in the year. So they've kind of got their measure on that mm. key statistic. Uh, Penalty-wise, the Swifts were up at 77, which is 26 more than the Thunderbirds. It was mainly from contacts being 67 to 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Swifts had 10 obstructions. The Swifts, uh, sorry, the Thunderbirds only had six for the entire match called on. Um, the, the good things, I suppose, for the Swifts uh, that stood out was Paige Hadley had a really great game, so 17 good. goal assists, 35 feeds. Um, and just scraped in over 100 net points. And Romelda Aiken-George was really solid on the rebounds with four. And once again, like maybe the Swifts are becoming the Giants with the super shot, right? 14 super shots to six, mm-hmm. uh, no, 14 super shot attempts to uh-huh. six. Um, and so really, again, maybe that was the thing that kind of kept them hanging around when they, they shouldn't have been there. Yeah, you do think they probably could have um, sunk them. The Thunderbirds you mentioned to me before we started recording about how few we saw from the Thunderbirds early might have been different if they had to put up five or six more before half time. Now, before we jump into our subjects for the show, last week you again gave us your winning equation, which, I mean, it didn't exactly work. 
in the preliminary final, let's say, Aaron. But I feel like you were much closer to the mark this week. So for reference, um, you said the Thunderbirds couldn't lose uh, if they got more than 12 games and converted that um, more than 70% of the time and had fewer general play turnovers, uh, fewer than 15 general play turnovers, sorry. And then you, you sort of told us about the Swifts Essentially, I'm I'm using shorthand here, but that they needed to score above 65, and they needed to outgain the Thunderbirds to win. And this felt very, uh, very, very smart as we watched the game unfold. I think on the weekend, mm, I, I agree that I think this went better, but only because the teams actually behaved in an expected way. <laughs> yep. I suppose yep. that really that was the problem last week. The fever and the Swiss just didn't do what they normally do. Rude of them. Uh, so, like, on the Swift side of things, I guess looking at these, it's maybe not surprising that they couldn't get over the line. They yeah. only scored 59 total, but that included an extra five minutes mm-hmm. of extra time. Mm-hmm. So didn't even get to 60 with that. And they lost the game count 10 to 16. And, yep. like, these were the two things that I suggested could guarantee them a win. Neither happened, so they'll probably – facing an uphill battle with with not really getting those key things. Um, The Thunderbirds did get 12-plus games. They got 16, but they fell short of that 70% gain-to-goal rate at 63%. So, again, if they uh, pushed above that, I think it would have been they would have got over the line probably before extra time. Um, they also just jumped over the 15 general play turnovers with 16, but you got to remember that included extra time as well. I was going to say, you can have that one. You get a pass on that yeah. one for sure. The the interesting thing here was looking at how these were playing out at half time. Yeah. The Thunderbirds were really on track to meet these. They had eight gains to the half and they were going at 75% gain to goal rate. Yep. And they only had five general play turnovers in that first half and they had a big lead at half time. And yeah. that's where I was saying I was ready to turn it off because like if they just kept doing that, it, they would have been fine, I think. But the Swifts, you know, really turned it around, I suppose, made it more difficult. Um, and it led to a much closer game. Yeah, um, after the game, Bryony Akel basically said that the Swifts started doing what she had told them after halftime and just went back to playing the netball and the brand that they're used to playing, whereas they, she said in the first they probably were relying on emotion too much and were sort of trying to do too many things, which I thought was really interesting because that tactical advantage really is what carried the Thunderbirds through because the Swifts were in that sort of chase position really from, from halftime. Now, let's get into our first subject, which I'm calling Teams of Ten. So both Tanya Opst and Bryony Akel have said repeatedly through this season that they have Teams of Ten. Um, And as a friend of the pod, Fiona Crow, pointed out to us um, after the grand final, they really lived up to that mantra in the big one at the weekend. Both sides used all their players in the grand final. And so I want to understand essentially if that's a first for a grand final in in Super Netball or the precursor um, uh, competition ANZ championship. I'd love to know how rare it is across games this year as well and which teams do it because I think people have a sense of certain clubs that that actually do it more than others, but I'm not sure whether that's actually borne out by the interchange data or not. Mm. Well, let's start with this year. There have been 38 occasions across 32 unique matches where a team has used their entire squad. And I think that's probably sitting at roughly about half of the games across the year. 
Uh, but where we get that mismatch there is we've seen six games where both teams have used the entire squad, as we saw in the grand final. And this has occurred um, a few times early on in the season, mm-hmm. round three, the Magpies versus the Fever. Mm-hmm. Now look for consistencies here. Mm-hmm. In round seven, the Thunderbirds versus the Magpies. Mm-hmm. And in round 10, the Magpies versus the Swifts. Mm-hmm. And so the Magpies featured in all of those early games and yep. they weren't having the greatest time from round three onwards. Yes. And so it's maybe one of those cases where um, a bit of using the bench up uh, in in certain matches and the magpies yeah. searching for answers, presumably. Yes, that is that is a good point too. Um, the the other three matches where both teams have used their entire squad. Round fourteen, Thunderbirds versus the Swifts. Yep. The semi final, the Thunderbirds uh, versus the Swifts, and yeah. the grand final, the Thunderbirds versus the Swifts. So, so until round fourteen, very very rare is what you're telling me. Uh, well, for for <laughs> both. both of these teams yes. in a match, but if yep. you look at the Swifts and Thunderbirds across the entire year, not when just both teams were doing Got it, you. they were the they were the most frequent teams. The Swifts did it ten times across the year, mm-hmm. and the Thunderbirds did it eight times across the year. And I know in the past, uh, particularly when we've been talking about Melbourne Vixens, we've talked mm-hmm. about how versatility and flexibility is a real key to success. Mm-hmm. And these strategies potentially suggest that, you know, those two grand finalists yep. have that flexibility yep. and that leads to success. Absolutely. There is a but here, though. Yep. The other two teams in the finals, mm. the Fever and the Vixens, mm-hmm. did this the least with hmm. the Fever twice and the Vixens only once using their entire squad. So... I don't know what to think about this as to whether this uh, versatility and using your bench leads to success because there's a bit of a bit of a mixed finding with that there, I think. Yeah, but, of course, the two that were in the grand final were the ones that mm. have. So in that small subset, I think, too, I mean, this is probably something for, for next season and future, how the, the super shot interacts with that I think is really, really key as well. But at the weekend it wasn't just a matter of, you know, goalies, you know, being slipped on for, for super shot time. We were talking about, I mean, it felt like bibs in the air a couple of times for the Swifts, that's for sure. It felt like bibs in the air, but then other times it also felt very planned and, and very organised, particularly in the, the midcourt, I thought. So what about the grand final then? How often do we see it in the big games? Because conventional knowledge would tell us in the grand final, you put your best seven on and assuming that you're in touching distance, you, you leave them. Yeah, and I think that's why this is much more rare. Uh, and I will put a caveat in here that I'm not really sure how accurate my early ANZ championship records are for okay. substitutions. I yep. think we've talked about this before, but uh, from what I can see, um, this idea of all players getting on court in a grand final hasn't happened until 2019 across these competitions. So in, in 2019, both the Lightning and Swifts had every player enter the court in yep. what was a very one-sided Swifts win. So yeah. I think I saw some people talking about this online that it was another case of kind of unloading the bench so everyone got to yeah, go. Yeah, that's right. Get, every, get everyone a touch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the Swifts did this again in their 2021 grand final win. Uh, I noted here that oh. Sophie Garbin logged four minutes and Lauren Moore just logged one minute in that match. But it wasn't at the end. It was, I think it was like at the end of the second quarter okay. uh, from looking at the subs record. But the Swifts did it there in 2021. And then again, we saw this year the Swifts and the Thunderbirds both do this. So in their three Super Netball Grand Final appearances, every player on the Swifts has played in those matches. 
if that's a deliberate thing by Bryony Ake. I mean, obviously she's lost one now, so that, you know, impacts whether she might do that in the future. But that's, yeah, that's so interesting. Now, staying on the Swifts, um, I want to move on to our next one, which I'm calling Double Trouble. So Swift mid-quarters Paige Hadley and Maddie Proud, they're often talked about as being very similar and very complementary players. Obviously, Hadley is an Australian diamond. She's going to the World Cup soon. But Maddie Proud, you know, is just an absolute quality player as well. And at times on Saturday night, early in particular, they found themselves in similar spots on the court, I think. And then they had very similar stats and that's kind of acknowledging of course that they did switch between center and, and wing attack at times we talked about the the bibs in the air a little with the swifts and it got me thinking um what does the the hadley proud combination look like when the swifts win statistically speaking as opposed to when they lose i mean we've touched on already in the grand final Hadley really had a blinder. I'm not sure that she could have done much more, but Maddie proud, probably not so much. She had seven turnovers and 14 penalties, which is a lot. So when they do win the Swifts, do they share the load? Are they kind of, you know, does proud have to be Robin to, to bat to, to Hadley's Batman? Is that kind of how it works? Mm, so, to approach this, took a look at the these two players' stats across this season mm-hmm. in particular, and we can take an average of what they both achieved in the wins versus losses mm-hmm. to get that comparison. So starting with our broad stat of net points, which probably works quite well for, yeah. I guess, dictating mid-court play, yeah. um, both of these players, Proud and Hadley, are pretty much the same in losses, where Proud averages 66.6 net points and Hadley averages 68.4. Okay. Uh, and they both jump up in wins, so they're both okay. improving in, in the Swiss wins. But there's a bigger jump for, for Proud in this context where she okay. jumps up to averaging 89.8 in wins and Hadley averages 73.0 in wins. Uh, in... Their feeds and feeds with attempts, they're both pretty consistent in wins Mm -hmm. versus losses. Um, Proud actually averages three more goal assists in losses versus wins, so Mm -hmm. maybe a reverse of what you'd expect, Mm -hmm. whereas Hadley averages a couple more goal assists in wins versus losses. Um, uh, Perhaps unexpectedly, both average more turnovers in losses versus wins, but again, we see a bigger jump in Maddie Proud's statistics here where she averages three more turnovers in losses, whereas Hadley's average turnovers only dropped by like 0.5 per game. Um, Proud's penalties increased by two on average in wins, Mm -hmm. maybe again unexpectedly there, and Hadley's decreased by about two in wins for penalties. So uh, looking at this in in summary, there isn't a real obvious point of difference Mm. between these two players in wins versus losses. It doesn't Mm. fit that, you know, one player standing out in wins. Yeah, it's it's pretty consistent and they both probably perform better. Mm -hmm. What I would say, though, is that Maddie Proud's stats seem to fluctuate a bit more in wins versus losses. Mm -hmm. Like Hadley is that more consistent statistically Mm. type of player. Mm. And so if you're looking at a, for a barometer for the team in the midcourt, Proud might be uh, more. more more so for the team simply because Hadley is that little bit more consistent. Yeah, and it feeds too very much into that Diamonds discussion, doesn't it? Because we talk about with the Diamonds having a really small margin 
between their best and their worst and knowing the coach understanding and knowing what they're going to get from those players. And I think maybe there has definitely been some, you know, descriptions of that proud. Maybe she does turn the ball over a little bit too much. Kim Revalian sort of gets the same criticism where her very best game sits at one end and then the worst game sits at the other. Um, and I would imagine that, you know, they but Proud in particular probably, you know, knows she didn't have the best game in that grand final, but still provided so much leadership through the middle as well and was so, um, yeah, spoke so beautifully after the game as well, I thought. But that sort of, it sort of matches my feel a little bit, I think. Um, now, next up, um, you're going to have fun telling me I'm wrong on this one, is what I'm calling the super irrelevant shot. So unlike many other games this season, it didn't feel like the grand final was decided by my favourite, the super shots at all. The Thunderbirds didn't shoot one until the second quarter, didn't shoot one at all in the third, nor did the Swifts, and just one in the last. The Thunderbirds had five from six in total, whereas the Swifts naturally, as you've mentioned off the top, shot more and they finished with nine from 14 attempts. So when I posed this to you, I was like, this isn't many super shots, is it, Aaron? But I was wrong. Mm. I'm happy to admit I'm wrong. I felt like there wasn't many super shots and I think probably on reflection, a lot of that is about did it feel like it impacted the game? Did it change Mm. the game? So my recency bias is coming out again, but where does that, that total of 14 made super shots fit in? I, I admit, I agree with you on this, that it didn't feel okay. like it had a huge impact okay. on the game. And I was messaging you at the time and I could almost feel the, <laughs> the positive vibes from a chica all the way down in Geelong. Melbourne, but, Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're in Melbourne. Maybe that's why I could feel it. Um, like you said, I feel this notion that there weren't a lot of super shots in this game could have come from the feel. It could have come from that recency bias you mentioned. Yeah that the idea of 14 super shots made in a game is a low amount because it actually represents the equal ninth highest okay. so it's number of super shots at all. made in a game this year. Okay. So a lot of the real highs, though, for this year above that came recently. Four okay. of the top five super shots makes within a game this season yep. came from round 10 onwards. So it really ramped okay. up towards the end of the year alongside what we've seen happen in recent finals matches. So... We've actually had 30 games this year, which is about half of those across the season that had 10 or less total super shots oh, made. Much right? less. So okay. almost half the games having much less. So my summary point here is that to me, Erin, this is indicative of your new world <laughs> order when it comes to the super shot, that a game like this felt a little super shot light. Right? Yes. When in the broader context, it might not have been. So I don't know. Keep your eye out next season for how this goes it it will be really interesting with how the season ended and whether teams continue to kind of ramp up that strategy next year yeah and also we had five more minutes of it as well that's probably something else Mm. that we didn't touch on um because it's in play for the entirety of extra time and I think that's going to be a really big discussion point as well I know there's a lot of people that not a lot there are some people that aren't fans of the super shot that feel as if I mean, we know it's not going anywhere, right? Perhaps the answer is, and I think you've suggested this to me before as well, that it's in play for the entire match. Because I know myself watching on the weekend in that extra time, 
it doesn't have that huge jump and that huge change because you've been playing with that rule already for five minutes and then you're automatically flowing into the next. And I had to, when I was sitting there filing, I had to sort of really look closely at champion data to think, oh, oh, who got, did they, was there a super shot? You know, did it count as two? Did it count as one? And it felt a lot more like an organic part of the game, if that makes sense. Mm. I honestly never thought I'd hear that <laughs> statement come out of your mouth publicly. I've heard it privately, not publicly. <laughs> um, I'm nothing. I'm nothing if not honest about what I feel about it. And like I said, it's it's definitely not going going anywhere. Mm. Looking to buy a property in the near future and overwhelmed with all the paperwork you just know is coming your way? Well, with All-in-One Property, you can forget the stress and lose the hassle. That's because All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider helping buyers with all their conveyancing, finance, insurance, and even property law issues that come along with buying a property, whether it's your first or your fifth. Let someone else handle the tricky stuff. With All-in-One Property, you'll have one point of contact instead of a heap of strangers asking you for all the information. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03-99-829491 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now it's time for our final Fox Answers the Fans for the year. We had a few people reach out asking us if this is the first year where the SuperNet Premiership winning side, the Adelaide Thunderbirds, of course, didn't include any current diamonds so that is diamonds that are about to go to a tournament you know those sort of squad members can you tell us that's that's the simple simple answer and also fascinated to know if it ever happened in ANZ champs days as well when we had big tournaments like com games and world cups now this seems like a good question to finish the year on because I actually put down that analytical pen and paper to pick up my Arendelle hunting inspired <laughs> journalist pen and paper. There's a bit of that to it, yep. <laughs> and I actually took an investigative approach to this rather than using stats analytics. Um, I had to, you know, jump online and look up yep. Australian Diamonds and, players' yep. debuts and because, like, I, I didn't want to, it wasn't a case of, like, did they ever play the Diamonds? I wanted to yes. know the time of the grand final if they had made their Diamonds debut and we'll see yes. a couple of examples of that. Yep across the years. I, I somewhat ignored the New Zealand-based teams okay, in those early years <laughs> because it's unlikely they linked in with Diamonds players. Um, but let me tell you, Aaron, it was exhausting, right? <laughs> like this journalistic side of things. and I was like, there should, there's got to be a way to automate this process. But <laughs> I, I stuck with it. So tell me about premiers then that we, I mean, I'm assuming there's lots from, we're just focusing on Super Netball now, not Silver Ferns or New Zealand, premiership winning teams that did have diamonds in them. Mm. I, we'll start back at 2009 and okay. we'll, we'll go through this year by year because it is it is really interesting to see how it progresses over time. Okay. Uh, so the Melbourne Vixens back in 2009, uh, that team featured the likes of Trump, Mann, Bianca Chatfield, uh, who I actually happened to get finally get to meet the other day. She said Did you? She was a yes, fan of the podcast, so that's Defenders supporting Defenders, which is really good to hear. So he, Melbourne Vixens, 2009, pretty stacked team, diamonds-wise. 2010, you got to the Adelaide Thunderbirds, which featured the likes of uh, Gerard, yeah. uh, Nelly Von Berto, uh, but also a pre-diamonds shiny Leighton, I believe. Yep. Uh, you team. go... Across to 2011, Queensland Firebirds had people like Laura Geitz, as an example, yep. star diamonds player. 2012, 
2012, we finally got to a New Zealand team, the Magic, um, and they beat a Vixens team that was once again stacked with yeah. Diamonds players and had international players from the New Zealand perspective like Langman and Irene Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, so, again, pretty international heavy kind of list. <laughs> Uh, the Adelaide Thunderbirds got it in 2013. That now featured a post-Diamonds debut, Shani Layton, uh, Beck Bully as another example there. Move on to 2014, the Melbourne Vixens had Catherine Cox, Bianca Chatfield again, but also a pre-Diamonds debut, Liz Watson, Kate Maloney and Joe Weston. Uh, so a real future Diamonds team there. Yeah, a bit of both, yep. Um, 2015, back to the Firebirds, again featured Beck Bully, Laura Geitz, uh, possibly pre but maybe post-debut Gretel Tippett at that point. Not sure when she made her debut that year. 2016, we're back with the Magic and New Zealand team, but they included uh-huh. uh, Christiana yeah. Manua. Uh, yep. And she made, I think she made her Diamonds debut later that year. Yep. Uh, the 2017 and 2018 Sunshine Coast Lightning had your Steph Wood, Caitlin Bassett, but a pre-Diamonds debut, Cara Conan. God, you forget how stacked that team was. Well, not, not forget, mm. but you don't think about it. And you had a young Carla Pretorius that everyone had, you know, just had, you know, seen on the world stage. And then they had Steph and they had Jeeva Mentor. And then they picked yes. up Langman a couple of years into it as well. Mm. Yeah. So keep pushing through. 2019 Swifts. Paige Hadley, um, possibly around the time of debut for Sarah Clow as well mm-hmm. uh, that year. 2020 Vixens. Um, now, this was a pretty stacked team when you talk about stacked teams. You had uh, yeah. people like Liz Watson, Joe Weston, Kate Maloney, Emily Maddox, Caitlin Thwaites, like almost the entire team, like Kumwenda as well in there, I yeah, think, uh, right. from an international perspective. Yep. Uh, 2021 Swiss, Paige Hadley and Sarah Clow again. 2022 Fever, Courtney Bruce, uh, possibly pre-Diamonds debut Sunday Ariane. I think it was maybe that year she did. Mm-hmm. So across all those years, no problems, right? Yes. All Diamonds yep. within the Take teams. it as red. You get to the 2023 Thunderbirds, no, like, no Australian Diamonds. Yep. Plenty of international star power with yep. Cardwell, Wilson and Sterling. Uh, you've potentially got that notion of future Diamonds in people like yeah. Georgie Hordress. Well, that wider squad as well, Garrett, was named yeah. from that wider squad earlier this year too, but yeah, definitely sure. not going to South Africa. Yeah. But this is a great question because, yes, it, you know, if you discount those two New Zealand team examples, which one, did have a Diamond player in them, but two... <laughs> Uh, had lots of New Zealand internationals. This is the first time we've seen a diamondsless Australian Super Netball and ANZ Championship Premier. It's really, a really good way to finish finish yeah. the year, I think. And I think we, we're talking about the super shot and the evolution of that. I think it's probably a really good signpost about the evolution of the league as well, the combination of those those Jamaican stars and one English star, but then a whole bunch of South Australian talent as well. Um, so, mm. so many of those young players came through that pathway and the way that Ops and Neville and Fellows have been able to weave them together, I think might be a bit of a template for other teams to follow. I wonder if we're going to see a all Australian super netball premier ever again. It mm, might it's not. A good, it's it a good question. might not potentially happen. Yeah. Mm. Now, after all of that work, I did that. Like I said, Aaron, I'm I'm exhausted. It's time, so I'm going to pass over to you, to you for 
the final Della Bluntly of the year, which, I mean, I suppose you're going to be looking forward to next year, which sure. um, is, is bit difficult. I mean, it's well, it's well organised, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, the grand final at the weekend was a triumph for the Super Netball League, a sellout crowd at a neutral venue that saw a brilliant display of world-class netball. And we have the World Cup in South Africa starting in just a couple of weeks. But the albatross, which has been hanging around netball's neck all year, remains. And that is, of course, the fact that we don't have a 2024 season at all as we sit here now because we don't have a collective player agreement between Netball Australia, of course, which runs the league and the Australian Netball Players Association, or team participation agreements or a side to replace Collingwood, which has pulled the plug on the league. That means that no one in the super netball ecosystem, including the current 80 contracted players, have any idea what they're doing next year. They come out of contract at the end of September officially. Without a CPA, there are no contracting rules in place. So that means technically no conversations about the future or deals or money should be happening insert winky face emoji. It is absolutely ludicrous and unacceptable for netball to be in this position. It's a bit of a joke, really, but not a humorous one. Right now, we have 15 Australian players preparing to represent their country in one of the sport's pinnacle events, the World Cup, with no certainty about what their domestic future looks like. They're due to fly out next Friday. And we have clubs trying to plan next season without knowing what their roster might look like, what the competition might look like, how many teams there will be. The deadline for applications to replace Collingwood has come and gone without so much as a peep from the league. All my mail suggests, of course, that it will be based in Victoria. But where and when? Who knows? Netball wants to call itself a tier one sport to, to fit amongst the big leagues. But right now, it looks like a Thursday night social comp, to put it well, bluntly. Yeah. Oh, great link into the segment name to finish off there. I like that. Um, I mean, lots of uncertainty, as you've highlighted there, uh, but there's one thing you can be certain about. Aaron Delahunty <laughs> will be covering it. Thank you, Aaron. I love that you prepared. That's That's brilliant. Uh, look, well, that's it. After 19 episodes, that's a wrap for our first season, well, our second season, but really our first season a standalone of Real versus Feel. Thank you so much to our amazing listeners. You are the reason that we make this show. Um, and it's been pretty amazing um, just for me personally to sit here and watch our, listeners, our listener numbers grow and grow as the season has progressed. Thank you too, of course, to you, Aaron, who, as I always say, is the brains of this operation. I can't thank you enough for lending us your big brain each week um, and to me and letting me pick it often via text messages at really bad times of the day. And you've taught me so much about the game and the way to, to look at it and report on it as well. So please, everyone, keep an eye on your real versus feel feed just in case we have anything else in the works. This podcast simply wouldn't be possible without All-in-One Property, which offers a suite of property services under one roof, covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law. All-in-One Property streamlines the process, helping buyers access all the services 